Hey everyone, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Well, it's that time of the month again. Microsoft have released the Windows updates for December. And this month, they're patching 49 flaws, including two zero days. And for a complete rundown of the different vulnerabilities that are patched this month, that'll include 19 elevation and privilege vulnerabilities, two security feature bypass vulnerabilities, 23 remote code execution vulnerabilities, three information disclosure vulnerabilities, three denial of service vulnerabilities, and one spoofing vulnerability. The two zero days in this instance are CVE-2022-44698, and that one concerns the Windows Smart Screen Security feature, and this is a feature bypass vulnerability. They say an attacker can craft a malicious file that would evade mark of the web defenses, resulting in a limited loss of integrity and availability of security features such as Protective View of Microsoft Office, which relies on MOTW tagging. Threat actors have exploited this vulnerability by creating malicious standalone JavaScript files that were signed using a malformed signature. The other zero day is CVE-2022-44710, and this is a DirectX graphics kernel elevation or privilege vulnerability. Now with this one, successful exploitation requires an attacker to win a race condition, and an attacker who successfully exploits this vulnerability can gain system privileges. Now, usually, if you listen to the podcast each month, this would be the time where I'd say, well, of course, this would be the rundown point and just kind of going through some of the different Windows updates for the month. And then usually next week, I'd be covering the fallout from those patches. It might be a little bit different this month as we're heading into the holidays next week. I'm not sure if we're going to get as many people patching right before the holidays, but I guess we'll wait and see. And of course, as always is the case, other vendors have also released their own patches in line with Patch Tuesday too. The December patches also include a fix for an issue that I covered on a previous episode of the podcast, and that is a memory leak issue with the local security authority subsystem service on Windows servers. This affected fully patched systems and even those with the out-of-band patch released a couple of weeks ago too. The issues led to freezes and restarts on some domain controllers and the issues were said to be caused by memory leaks in the local security authority subsystem service. And if this service crashed, logged in users immediately lost access to Windows accounts on the machine 
and they were shown a system restart error followed by a system reboot. If that sounds like something you encountered or are possibly still encountering, there is now a patch available to remedy this issue. Another Windows Server issue that should be fixed with the December patches is a reported issue with Hyper-V and specifically when trying to create virtual machines in Hyper-V in a certain context. The known issue affects only Windows Server or Azure Stack HCI hosts in SDN-enabled environments that are managed using SCVMM. On the affected systems, administrators will see one of the following errors. Either a new VM creation failure when creating a new VM with network adapter fails, an SLB load balancer or SDN RAS gateway fails with an Ethernet connection error, attaching VNIC fails, or you get a warning message during a live migration stating an Ethernet connection warning. So likewise, if this is something that sounds like an issue you're encountering, this should be patched and fixed with this month's Windows updates. Another vendor who has released patches for Patch Tuesday is Citrix, who have published CTX474995, where they describe a vulnerability that has been discovered in Citrix Gateway and Citrix ADC that, if exploited, could allow an unauthenticated remote attacker to perform arbitrary code execution on the appliance. And some other outlets are already reporting that this vulnerability is being actively exploited, which is maybe not surprising as an attacker can exploit this vulnerability without authentication. The vulnerability is being listed as CVE-2022-27518. And it affects Citrix ADC and Citrix Gateway version 13.0 before 13.0-58.32. Uh, Citrix ADC and Citrix Gateway 12.1 before 12.1-65.25, Citrix ADC 12.1-FIPS before 12.1-55.291, and Citrix ADC 12.1-NDCPP before version 12.1-55.291. They say that Citrix ADC and Citrix Gateway version 13.1 is unaffected. In the CTX article, Citrix have shared a few commands that you can run to check if your appliances are vulnerable. The Citrix article itself does indicate that there have been reports of this being exploited in the wild. So if you are on one of the affected systems, patch as soon as possible. And if you're on version 12.1, which is end of life, please upgrade to a supported version. VMware have also released their own patches and they published their own advisory under VMSA-2022-0033. And this is for VMware ESXi, VMware Workstation, and VMware Fusion. And the update addresses a heap out of bounds write vulnerability. And that one is labeled as CVE-2022-31705. It said the write vulnerability is in the USB version 2 controller. And VMware has evaluated the severity of this issue to be in the critical severity range, getting a 9.3 out of 10. A malicious actor with local administrator privileges on a virtual machine may exploit this issue to execute code as the virtual machine's VMX process running on the host. 
On ESXi, the exploitation is contained within the VMX sandbox, whereas on Workstation and Fusion, this may lead to code execution on the machine where Workstation or Fusion is installed. So if you're running Workstation, I don't know, maybe as packaging VMs, which I do quite often, then it seems like they'll be able to get to your actual like base machine, your client machine, and do whatever they want. Or if you're using a Mac with Fusion, then it could get to your Mac. To remediate the issue, you need to apply patches that have been made available by VMware. And again, this one's very high in severity. Don't sleep on it, patch as soon as possible. But of course, test as well. With the December patches, Windows 11's Task Manager got a fix in the shape of KB5021255. And this KB addresses issues that users encountered seeing certain elements of the Task Manager user interface in unexpected colors. It made some portions of the Task Manager unreadable due to color distortion. And while not everyone was impacted by it, Microsoft went to the root cause of the issue and issued this fix. There have also been some other security fixes alongside fixing the task manager bug too. Alternatively, if you are encountering this distortion and you don't want to patch right away, you can fix it by setting the choose your mode setting to either dark or light. And you can do that just by right clicking or long pressing on the desktop, selecting personalize, select colors, and then selecting either dark or light for the choose your mode option. The latest Windows 11 update ships with a number of new features and enhancements, including things like folders in Start, tabs in File Explorer, and the ability to drag and drop onto the taskbar. But those are all publicly disclosed within articles covering the new features within Windows 11 operating system. But windowscentral.com also highlighted some new desktop themes that are actually hidden within the operating system in this update, but can be enabled via policy or with a registry value. And they state that this is available already within like the education SKU, uh, but you can enable this within the other SKUs as well. And they say that these are really aesthetically pleasing desktop themes. So might be of interest to those hardcore enough to want to check it out for me. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a bit of a waste of time. Just a quick note, Windows 10 21H1 has officially reached end of servicing. And this announcement comes after three other warnings since September that this Windows version would reach its retirement date on December 13th. And I've previously covered this on the podcast a few weeks ago, but now that date has passed, so, welcome to end of service. Windows Admin Center version 2211 has been released. It brings with it support for 400% zoom. So if you want to zoom in 400% on their screen for whatever purpose you might have that, that is now available. Uh, there's also support for self-signed certificates on Chromium-based browsers, search settings with smart keywords, a new Azure Arc tool, Azure Virtual Machine Support, and the Azure Active Directory authentication that I previously reported on the podcast that is now available all within version 2211. MSPowerUser.com reported this week that Microsoft have stated that there would not be a Microsoft Authenticator companion app for watchOS after an upcoming Authenticator release next month 
for iOS. So if you're in the habit of using the Authenticator app on your Apple Watch, that's not going to be possible in the near future. And they say the reason behind leaving the watchOS store was that the operating system security was incompatible with Authenticator security features. Honestly, at least to me, it's not a big loss because at least from my experience, it didn't work a lot of the time anyway. By the time I would accept it on the watch, uh, it would be like timed out or there'd be a problem and it wouldn't recognize it. So I just have to grab my phone and do it there. And of course, uh, other Apple devices will still be supported. It's just the watch that won't be supported in the future. It feels like I've been reporting on Google patching a vulnerability in Chrome every week for a while now, uh, but this week, here's something different. ZDNet reports that Google will roll out two new features for Chrome in the next few weeks that should stop it hogging memory and running down your laptop's battery. The two new features are named Energy Saver and Memory Saver, and they should make the most popular browser in the world a more efficient application on Windows, Mac OS, and Chrome OS, according to this report. And users will be able to turn on each of the efficiency modes via the settings within Chrome under the Performance tab. The energy saver setting is intended for situations such as traveling, where you're likely to be disconnected from a power source for extended periods. And Google notes that the energy saver mode can impact gaming and video performance. But meanwhile, the memory saver helps to keep active video and gaming tabs running smoothly. Google notes in their blog post that memory saver and energy saver modes will roll out globally over the next several weeks for Windows, Mac OS, and Chrome OS. I wonder if this uses some of the input from the Microsoft development team who are working on the obviously Chromium-based Edge. Uh, as I reported last year on the podcast, uh, they had made some significant savings in terms of memory utilization with the browser, and they'd submitted that uh, to the Chrome team. Microsoft have announced they are set to allow more flexible and user-centric customizations of the built-in identity flows for Azure Active Directory and Microsoft 365 apps. The new experience controls apply to sign-in for users in the directory and for external users, including use cases for B2B, B2E, and first-party applications running on Azure AD. You can try the public preview of this for yourself today. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know how sometimes you get um, prompted to sign in with your Azure Active Directory credentials? Well, you can change the, the layout of that kind of web UI that you're interacting with as a user. And if you'd like to try it out, you can use the tech community article that I'm referencing for this story. And I'll share that with this episode, which is episode 260. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com or you can find a link in the description field for this episode on your podcast platform of choice. BleepyComputer.com have reported on a pretty major story that was breaking just as I was uh, scripting and recording this episode of the podcast. And that is that Microsoft have revoked several Microsoft hardware developer accounts after drivers signed through their profiles were used in cyber attacks, including ransomware incidents. The news comes in a coordinated disclosure between Microsoft, Mandiant, Sophos, and Sentinel-1, 
and their researchers explain that threat actors are utilizing malicious kernel mode hardware drivers whose trust was verified with authenticode signatures from Microsoft's Windows hardware developer program. Now significantly, the accounts being used via the Microsoft Partner Center were engaged in submitting malicious drivers to obtain a Microsoft signature. So these attacks are being launched utilizing Microsoft signed drivers. And this is not the first instance of such an attack. And of course, kernel mode drivers run in a low level on the system. So leveraging such a driver for an attack makes sense as it opens up the entire system to hackers to do what they want. This also is a reason why many enterprises limit the number of kernel drivers that they deploy in their environments. Worryingly, Sophos, Sentinel-1, and Mandiant have all seen instances of cyber gangs already leveraging Microsoft signed drivers for carrying out attacks. And Microsoft have released security updates to revoke the certificates used by malicious files and has already suspended the accounts used to submit the drivers to be signed. New Microsoft Defender signatures have also been released to detect legitimate signed drivers in post-exploitation attacks. And Microsoft is working with Microsoft Active Protection's program partners to help develop further detections and to better protect their customers. Microsoft's Partner Center is also working on long-term solutions to address these deceptive practices and prevent future customer impacts. At this time, according to bleepcomputer.com, Microsoft have yet to share how the malicious drivers pass the review process in the first place. So this is a very worrying development as once again, legitimately signed drivers are being leveraged for attacks. Microsoft have acquired a startup called Fungible who have developed their own data processing unit chips. This is an area of increasing competition and blocksandfiles.com reports Fungible underwent a round of layoffs in August of this year. So there were some worries about the performance of the company. And honestly, $190 million, which is what the acquisition uh, was valued at, seems like a bit of a low price, in my opinion, for a company making technology that is and will continue to be in increasing demand. It is also interesting that Microsoft have purchased a hardware component manufacturer as I mean, obviously they're in the hardware game, given their Surface devices and the Xbox division and so forth. Um, but I guess that's maybe a more long-term commitment to continuing to innovate and develop hardware in the future too. Now for some quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. First off, congratulations to community legends Neil McLaughlin and Bass Van Cam, and indeed everyone at Nerdio as they just announced that Nerdio has secured a massive $117 million in Series B funding. That's awesome. Congratulations. AppVentix have released version 3.4 of their product with features including the ability to remotely push the agent via the console, an improved OU picker, a multi-machine selection under the manage machines option, there's new columns in the inventory section, ability to enable the AppV client directly from the console, enhanced AVD integration, and more. AppVentix have also stated that they will support native Azure Active Directory groups and integration with Azure files in their next release. Citrix have released Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops version 2.2.0, which is LTSR, 
and they've released Cumulative Update 2 for that LTSR version. Applications are now open for the 2023 VMware vXpert program. So if you feel like you've been contributing to the community over the last year, apply to join this really awesome program. There's an interesting article this week in which the LinkedIn CEO stated that in pre-pandemic times, only 1% of all jobs posted on LinkedIn were remote. And as of today, that number is up to 14%. But states that's not the fascinating part. What's fascinating is that north of 50% of all job applications on a daily basis on LinkedIn go to that 14% offering remote jobs. So it's fascinating, but also very predictable. <laughs> I think the employees, whatever the employers think, the employees have certainly had their vote and they voted for the continuation of remote work. Well, that's it for the news. Let's get on to some scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, I was in a really great conversation with the awesome team over at Master Packager, my buddy Trenton Ty, Julie Sands Romeo, my buddy Patrick Hernan, and also Bronson Magnan on the topic of vendor support for application issues and just the fact that, you know, if you repackage applications, no matter what you repackage them into, or even just applying a transform like an MST to a vendor's MSI, well, if you mention that you applied an MST or you packaged this application into an AppV package, for instance, uh, these vendor support usually try to wriggle their way out and say, well, uh, if you did that, I can't support you. I'm not going to help you. And it's best really to try to recreate the issue that you're encountering just by using the raw vendor media. And if that's a problem with the raw vendor media, then just use that for troubleshooting with the vendor support and just kind of eliminate AbV or uh, MSTs or whatever from the equation, get that working and then apply that fix uh, later into your AbV package or what have you. We had the final cloud paging user group of the year last week and the awesome Paul Eden joined and he shared his insights and what he has created in terms of automating his application packaging efforts into cloud paging containers. And it was really cool and awesome to see. And if that's something that interests you in just kind of general automating your application packaging, I suggest you join the cloud paging user group and uh, we'll add you into a Slack workspace where you'll be able to view all the previous meetings recordings, including that awesome meetup we had last Friday that includes the demo on what Paul is doing around automation. And also I kind of throw in my own two cents and what I've done with RPAs. And uh, Jurgen also speaks to some of the work he's done too. And finally, before closing down this episode for this week, just a reminder that I'm running a giveaway for the podcast in the run up to the holiday in association with the festive tech calendar. And you'd be in with a chance to win an Elgato stream deck, which I have a stream deck myself really really handy you're able to just program in like keyboard shortcuts into this uh, device that has a bunch of buttons so you can do things like you know launch zoom and once zoom is launched it takes the context and changes the buttons that are specific to zoom so you're able to like mute unmute uh, raise your hand all with the press of a button and just pretty much do anything you want just using these cool buttons and if you'd like to win one of those for yourself 
Uh, I'll share a link with this episode and you can enter by giving your details. So like your name, uh, your email address, it asks to verify your age. You don't have to really put in your real date of birth. Just make sure it's something over 18. And also, um, then you get one entry per action you take and actions include like following me on Twitter, um, subscribing to the podcast on SoundCloud, on YouTube and so forth. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.